two more Sundays to teach on this. But I am so excited to teach today because of what God's taken it through. And it was, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of cut down. I, I only can probably get through chapter one, but it is amazing what's in this chapter one. The things that God revealed, and, and it's just such a good chapter to go through. There's so many checks that we get to look at and see, okay, if my life isn't this way, well, he's saying why it isn't that way. And it's showing us right through the scripture. So I'm super excited to teach through this because of what God just revealed to me um, and talked to me about. And it is, it's, it's such a great chapter. So let's go ahead and turn over there to Second Peter chapter 1. We'll go ahead and pray before we get into it. Lord, we just want to thank you for today. Thank you for the beautiful weather you've given us. Uh, we continue to ask for rain, especially for the farmers, uh, that you bring water to their crops, Lord. Um, I know this is a time for them to trust in you, too. And what a, what a great time that is, that they've invested this and put it in the ground, and now it's, it's up to you to give the increase. And so we just ask along with them that you would bring that. And uh, just as they walk through this with you, just increase their faith and to know you're an almighty God and you have everything in your hands and you have awesome plans for them. And uh, Lord, we just thank you that we get to have things like this. We get to be outdoors and be public and we're not having to hide away um, to praise you, but we get to come out and do this, Lord. And so I ask that you just continue to remind us not to take advantage for granted and that we would also pray for those that aren't able to do this, Lord, in other countries where they have to hide in basements and stuff that isn't clean and, and the things that they have to do, but they're just so excited to get together with you, Lord. Um, we just want to lift them up to you and just keep them safe today as they're meeting and uh, worshiping you, Lord. And uh, Lord, as we go through this book, I just ask that you would reveal what you, you've shown me, that it would be very clear that the things you've taken me through and talking to me about this, that it would just be relayed right to your people, um, that I wouldn't be in the way, Lord, and that you would be able to use me to communicate uh, your, your word. Um, Lord, and it's just so encouraging. Just thank you so much for what you, you've done and, and just what you did in Peter's life to have him bring this message. And uh, what a powerful thing it is, Lord, your word. And we just love it and uh, continue just to teach us how to fall in love with it, Lord, and what we, exa- what we exactly have in you, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for today. I see you bless it. In your name I pray, amen. So in the first, uh, first Peter, okay, the letter was mostly focused on encouraging the church through suffering, right? He was getting ready. You remember the, even chapter 5, he talks about the fiery trial that's going to come. So he's encouraging them, how are you guys going to deal with suffering? And then by giving them a different perspective, so the godly perspective. You know, we went through all their troubles that they're going to go through, all the problems that they're going to have, and how to deal with that. He was dealing with the response, or he was dealing with our response to problems, right? Like even going into how do you submit to maybe a government that you don't agree with? How do you submit to a, a boss that you don't agree with or, or a spouse that you don't agree with, right? And he was teaching us through all those, those different scriptures and showing us that this is what it is to go through these times, these external things that come against you, and here's your response to it. And as he walked through that with us and he showed us and he encouraged us and he prepared us how to react to those problems that were, inside, that were outside. Now in this one, in the second book of Peter, the second letter that he wrote, what he's going to do, he's going to focus on what's coming from the outside. What's coming into the church? What do we need to be watching for that's going to be coming into the church? Because at this time, there was a lot of false teachers, wasn't there? And that's mostly what this book is about, is going and talking to them before Peter was going to be crucified, before he was going to leave this earth. He wanted to pass it on to them to make sure they weren't duped into the false teachings. And so he spends a lot of this second uh, letter and talking to the believers and warning them of what it's going to look like. But this first part, what he goes through, 
as he talks through in this first chapter, as he gives us what it is to be a Christian. He shows us what the positive is. If you want to look at it as, you know, you have this image there. So he gives this image of what the Christian looks like so that we can identify the false. And so it's just like you guys know with money, right? I think it's uh, when I went to Peru, Peru's one of the worst places for counterfeit money. One of the worst. And what they'll do to you is very tricky. It's not just like, here, I'll give you a counterfeit. What they do is they will actually, you'll give them money. Say you get into a tax, you give American dollars, or, or mostly it's, it's bigger bills. But you'll give it to them, and they'll be like, oh, what you gave me is not, not it's, it's counterfeit. And they actually swap it on you. And then they give you your, a counterfeit back and say, you need to give me another one that's real. And that's how they dupe, and they switch it out. The thing is, is if you guys work in a bank or have worked in a bank, you get used to the feel of money, right? You know what it feels like. You know what it looks like, especially with the $100 bills. And after a while, you can tell when a, when a, a counterfeit comes through because you're used to dealing with that. You know it. You know what that image is. And so it's the same deal what he's going to work with, and he's going to talk to us as believers nowadays and what he was talking to them in the church then is here's what it looks like. Here's the image. Here's what it looks like to be a Christian. Now, you have to understand that so that you can recognize when the false one comes in. And that's why this chapter is so encouraging because it really lo- looks into our lives and says, what's going on there? You know, what, what is it looking like as we chase after Jesus Christ and we follow in his ways? And so let's go ahead and let's start out reading verses 1 through 4. Second Peter, verse 1 in chapter 1, it says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so he dives right in, and he starts talking to these believers. He sets them up, and we already know who Peter is. Bondservant, apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Absolutely sold out for Jesus Christ. And then he goes and he jumps right into it, and he says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. And what he's trying to do is he's identifying that, hey, there's nothing different from the faith that I have from the faith that you have. And that goes for us nowadays, too. What Peter had and the faith that he had is the exact same that we have. And that's why he wants to establish this, because there's going to be no excuse as he goes through this book. It's the same faith. There isn't any other faith. There's not a different, right? One baptism, one Lord, right? One Savior. We're into the same thing that the apostles were into, and there isn't anything different. And he wants to make sure that they understand that, because there are other ones that are trying to come in and invade, and they do have a false faith. It's not the same faith. He would not include them in the same picture here. And so that obtained or that received like precious faith is the same that he has. Now, the difference is, is how we act on it, right? Because here's Peter doing awesome, powerful things in, in his life, and it's because of how he was acting on that faith, wasn't it? And that's where the difference can be, and that's where we can kind of get bummed out is because we're like, well, Peter was this guy that was just so, I mean, I can't even come close to that. And Peter's trying to show, no, no, we have the same thing, but it depends on how we act on it. Is this a reality to us? And so in that second part, when he gets into it and he says, by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, 
And then he goes in verse 2 and he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the thing about Jesus Christ, there's no other ruler, there's no other prophet, there's no other famous person, billionaire, teacher, religious leader, past or present, that can give you guys what Jesus Christ can give you. And we look at that right there. Jesus Christ, the things that he can give you that nobody else can give you, he can give you righteousness, can he? He can give you grace. And he can give you peace. No other man, no other person on this earth can give that to you. And it's a neat thing that that's what we get to have in Jesus Christ, and that's what sets him apart. And as we look in those, like the righteousness, okay, how do we get that righteousness? Well, we trust in him, don't we? If you guys are taking notes, trusting in him, there's 2 Corinthians 5.21, and there's Titus 3.5. Those both talk about it's all about his righteousness. It's all about his righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's been put on us, like 2 Corinthians 5.21. It talks about that being given to us. And then his grace. When we read over in 1 Peter 5.10 last week, and it talked about, it says, But may the God of all grace, who calls us in eternal glory by Christ Jesus, and by all grace, God the Father, by all grace, gives us Jesus in our place. And we've talked about it before. What is grace? It's that unmerited, right? We did not deserve that. It was given to us without anything that we've given. It is absolutely free, and that's what we've gotten in the Jesus taking our place. And in verse for that, John 1.16, if you guys are taking notes there. And then the last one with that right, with the peace, is that because of righteousness and because of grace, what do we get in turn? Peace, right? If you guys go through what Paul writes in his epistles, he also talks about grace and peace as he greets the brethren. And I love it because he always puts grace first, because we cannot experience peace without grace, right? Peace will not be in the life until grace has been experienced through Jesus Christ. There's lots of other peace, pieces that people will say, this piece is, you know, of, the, of, of this group, or, or come over and hang out with us because you're going to find peace in this thing. You know what? They're momentary. They're fickle. They're only for a time. All the things that man can give are all finite. They're not eternal. And that's what makes Jesus Christ different, is because he can give the eternal peace, that knowing that we're going to be with him forever, and it's exciting. So we have that, the, great, the righteousness and uh, the grace that God gives leading to that peace. And it's an awesome thing to have that and to have that information, but also to imitate and to walk after him, knowing him. And that's when it goes into that, is just knowing our Savior. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we go into that knowledge, this knowledge that it's talking about, it's not just a knowledge of, uh, I have these details. I have this information about Jesus. I know the historical Jesus, and I can tell you everything about him. Knowledge is walking and understanding with him, right? That's like a life lived with him. That's the knowledge that it's talking about. So it's not just book smarts. It's experiencing him. It's experiencing those promises that he's given us, trusting by faith and walking in those promises. It's a good deal. Now, in verse 3, he goes on, and this, this, this verse is powerful, guys. This one and verse 8 are just, I hope it knocks your socks off. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you guys see that? There, there's some pretty extreme words there. His divine power given, and all. All things, guys. All things to us. 
Now, it's like when you have a, a child that's being formed in the womb, right? Everything in that DNA is given to that child, right? The height of who, how tall they're going to be, the color of their eyes, the color of their hair. They're even saying now they can see what diseases they're going to be more susceptible to. It's pretty amazing what they're finding in, in what the genetics of, of, of a newborn will even show. You know, even it shows like this, the size of the nose or the ears. I mean, these are all things that are going to form the face that makes you look like your parents because their DNA has been combined to bring you, right? You have all these things that have been programmed and God's given to that child that's going to determine their physical appearance later on and how their body works and how everything goes together. And that's what he's done here for us. You guys know that we have died, Right? We were dead in our transgressions. If you guys want to look over in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 with me. We are going to be jumping around. I don't have anything that can show up on the board, so you guys are going to have to go with me on this. Don't be lazy this morning. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It says, And you have, or you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also con, uh, conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So that's what we were looked like before. And then he's made us alive. If you guys turn over in John 5, John chapter 5. Verse 24. And here it says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And we've talked about this before, that Jesus Christ, that we've come alongside him, like in Romans 6, what it talks about, and that we've been raised in the likeness of him, right? We have that new life that's been given. That it's not something that it was kind of we try to attain, but he's actually had to resurrect us. And we look at, I think, one of the best examples, of course, is Lazarus. And that story's over in John 11. But what Jesus says to Lazarus when he comes out of that tomb, what do you guys remember? He says, loose him, right? Loose him. Get him out of that stuff. Get him out of those. And it's such a neat message. If you guys ever studied through Lazarus, look at us coming out of that tomb with Jesus Christ and loose ourselves, get, get rid of that stuff, get him or you out of those dead clothes. That's what happens when we get raised. That's what happens when we walk in Jesus Christ. And then when we go back over to Second Peter now, knowing all of that, and we read that again, and his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In this spiritual walk that we have with him, in this spiritual growth that we have, he's given us everything, guys. He's given us everything. That's what this scripture says. He's given us all of it. All things that pertain to life and to godliness. And so... This is one of those challenges, and this is one of those things that really I started digging into and looking at, and I started looking at my prayer life. And I would just ask this, so, so when we pray, when we pray about trials and temptation, I think one of the things that we usually will try to do is we'll, we'll go on and, and say, you know, I need this from you, God. I need this to be able to get through this temptation. I need this thing to be able to walk closer to you. But according to this verse, he says it's already been given, right? From the divine power. It's already been given. And so our prayer wouldn't it be more, give me that faith, Lord, that I understand what you have already made me into, what you've already given me. 
all, all this, this, you know, that he'd strengthen our faith that we might be able to walk in what he's already prepared for us. You guys remember Ephesians 2.10, where it says he's already, he's already set it up. All we have to do is walk in it. It's an awesome deal that the Lord's already done this. So when we come to that knowledge of him, who called us by that glory and virtue, it's one of those things that it's so powerful if we understand and we're fighting life. We're fighting those temptations in our life right now. That we see, wow, God's already taken care of this stuff through Jesus Christ. So why am I battling so much against these things? How come I keep returning back to these things that I know, like we talked about last week, is like keeping the murder weapon around. We're keeping that sin around, that sin that put Christ on the cross. Why are we doing that? He's given us everything that we absolutely need. It's not something you guys need to work harder at and become a better person at. It's a submission issue. It's I need to submit to what he's already done. I need to have that faith that it's already been made complete through Jesus Christ in my life. And it, that, that should be relief to you guys because there isn't all these hoops you have to jump through to be that better Christian. That doesn't exist there. That's, that's religion, guys. That's, that's other people saying, here's all the things you need to do so that you can be blessed by God. When he's already blessed you, you just need to walk in that blessing. And that, what an awesome thing. That's the thing that makes Jesus Christ so different from anybody else. And so he's already given us that stuff. He's already made it in us. He's already programmed us that way, just like a newborn baby. But you guys know that if that baby does not exercise, is not disciplined later on, is not having those certain things, doesn't have the health that it needs, it's not going to grow in those ways. A kid could be born and supposed to be programmed with brown hair, but you know what? If they're very malnourished, they're going to end up having a blondish, reddish hair, aren't they? Why? Malnourishment. Same thing happens with us, guys. Yes, we have salvation through Jesus Christ. Now what? Now we walk in these things that he's given us. That growth that happens. That spiritual growth that happens that needs to take place. And so then we move on to that next part where he says, you know, just talking about that virtue and that glory. Now, we look at Jesus Christ. It says, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by glory and virtue. And it was like Jesus was the first to have that high calling and he was the first to have that purity. So we're chasing after Jesus. That's why I keep saying that because it says it's right here. It's talking about him being included in the picture, that he is the focus point. And then we move on to verse four. Verse four. "By By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promise that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so by his glory and by his virtue, we have been given to a great promise. Because of Jesus Christ's work, guess what? We get a promise, a great promise, a precious promise. That through these, we get to, and this is another one of those verses that just blows your mind because of what it's saying here, get to be partakers of the divine nature. What? Really? Now, there's two ways of going about this. There's the way that I want to be a part of that denying nature. I want that for myself. I am God of my own life. I rule my life, so the decisions I make every day, it's going through me first. And yes, I'm a Christian. I'll pray about it and make sure God's on the same page as me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's sad how we kind of deceive ourselves into thinking that. That's the way that Eve wanted to do it, right? Right? Do you guys remember that that's the temptation that was set before her is to have that divine, uh, take partake in that divine nature, to know good and evil? Remember that whole deal? 
And that was her reaching out and grabbing it, right? Literally. Now here's where this submission, this, this falling under Jesus Christ and that virtue and that glory that Jesus Christ has already done, that work he's already done, and we come under that promise. And guess what we get to be a part of? We get to be a part of what he's doing and what he's already done. That's partaking of that divine nature. Now what's been acquitted to us is we've been cleaned by his blood. We are now righteous. Blows your mind, doesn't it, that he's even going to do that for us. There's nothing we're reaching out and grabbing. We're just submitting to it. Now, this is where it gets a little little bit more pressure on us here in verses 5 through 7. Because what happens is that spiritual growth is just not on cruise control, okay? It's not autopilot. I don't know if you guys see, I wasn't around when autopilot came on or, or cruise control came around. Okay, I just, I was born into that. It's good stuff. I have had cars that don't have it, all right? I get it. I understand what it is to live life without that cruise control. But when it first came out, when they had it on motorhomes, there's a story that was put out that this guy actually thought that it was a self-driving vehicle. <laughs> so you can imagine, you have a motorhome, you have your house with you that's going ahead and cruising down the road. Put it on cruise control. It's got it. Anyways, you guys know the story. He ended up going back to make himself a sandwich, and the whole thing went off the side of the road. <laughs> Destroyed his little house on wheels. That's it. Guys, spiritual growth is not that way. It's not just, oh, great, I'm saved now. Here you go, Jesus. I'm on cruise control now. You do whatever you need to do, and uh, I'll be over here if you need me. You guys know it's not that way, right? I mean, Paul goes through it. Peter talks about it. And that's what he's going to go into next is what does this spiritual growth looks like? And if you guys want to note on the side of your Bible, spiritual growth is verses 5 through 7. And it says, But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add. Okay? Giving all diligence. And this is talking about us. Giving all diligence. Paying everything we can to this, all of this. Add. That means we're adding it. Okay? bringing it in, to your faith, virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And now this is a neat thing because I wish I could draw it out, but if you guys could just do it in your mind, just draw a picture like you have faith on this first circle, right? You have faith as this big old circle right here. And then virtue goes inside of that because you add to faith virtue. And then you just keep making these smaller and smaller circles with each one of these until you get to the center point. And the center point is what? What's the bullseye? Love, right? What's the outside? Faith. Isn't that neat? Everything's like faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is, boom, the bullseye, isn't it? My daughter's out shooting today. She's in 4-H. She gets to go and try to nail that bullseye, and hopefully she gets to go on to the next competition. But you know what has happened to Ava? She's had to go through a ton of discipline to get to that place. We've been out practicing in the hot sun. Been going out there and she's having to lay in the dirt. You guys know all these different, they have four different positions they have to shoot from. And she has to keep doing it because her body has to get used to forming those positions so she can be more steady to take that shot. Any of you guys that have ever worked with firearms, that's the thing is repetition and practice and diligence and discipline and you become a better shot at it, right? That's what our spiritual growth, you go through this, you add these things to you. The thing is, it's already there. Because if we read the verse above in verse 3, God's already given that to us. So you're just acting on them. You're realizing, you're understanding that what he's already given you. He's given you guys the faith. 
right? It's not up to you guys to have this massive faith to conquer the world. It's believing he's already given it to you. And he's going to walk you through some stuff that's going to grow your faith, isn't he? You guys can understand when you first came to Jesus Christ, there was things that you were just blown away by what he was doing in your life. Nowadays, you'd be like, I'll, I'll for sure do that because God's covered me so many times before. I totally have faith he's got me in this little small matter. But then he keeps taking the matters and they get bigger and bigger and he, he's stretching our faith. He's growing it, right? It's a cool thing. He gives us that faith. And he goes on, and I would love to go through and break down every one of these to you guys, but I think that's a great study for you guys to go and be diligent in. What does each one of these mean? What does this look like in my life? Is love the bullseye in my life? Is it surrounded by faith? Do I have all these other things that I've been adding into my life? And go through and break down each one of these words and see. We just don't have time for it this morning and love to do it, but I think that's a good thing for you guys to end up doing. So now, our spiritual growth, like I said, and if you guys want to go out and I'll give you these other verses because I think they're really important in, in backing up what is being said here. So if you guys would like to turn over to Philippians 2 with me. Philippians chapter 2. Just a couple pages to the left. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to work or both to will and to do for his good pleasure. See, it's still focused on with the Lord, but it's still asking you to work out your own salvation, right? That's not saying you guys need to get on, the, on board so you can bring salvation to yourself and get saved. No, salvation's already been brought to you through Jesus Christ. How are you acting on that? How are you making that real in your life? Another verse, if you guys want to turn over there, is in 1 Corinthians. And I love this one. This one's been a huge encouragement to my life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Or actually, we can start in verse 26. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth and talking about, here's what my spiritual life looks like. Here's my spiritual growth. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And just taking it very serious, that walk and where that, that drive is coming from, right? Now, go back over to Second Peter, and we'll move on and, and look at another one of those powerful verses there in verse 8. Let's go ahead and read verses 8 through 11. For if these things are yours, talking about all those verses 5 through 7, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. There's that word, diligence. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. What? <laughs> for so in an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some powerful verses, right? I think you guys agree. That's, it's neat what he wants to do and he, what he's doing in our lives. So let's go back up and look at it. Verse 8. I would just ask you guys right now is, do you guys feel useful or unfruitful in your life? 
Do you feel useful or useless and unfruitful? Especially in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at your life right now and do you guys feel useless and unfruitful in that? Now what I see is that when you go through verses 5 through 7, if you guys are doing these things, it's saying that you won't have a life that is like that. Being barren is like useless, a barren desert, not useful for anything, right? So if you're feeling that way, what's going on with verses 5 through 7? Something's wrong. Because this, is, this has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, isn't it? This is Peter speaking to the church then and now. And he's saying that if this is the case, it shouldn't be this way. For these things, if these things, if these things are yours, and not only yours, but you abound in these things, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a great verse that really just pins us and just says, where are you at right now? If you're having these feelings, why? What's been taking place in your life over verses 5 and through 7? What's been put in those places? What's the distraction going on in your life right now? What's the sin that you've allowed to come back in? Because then it's time to get rid of that. It's time to go back to what he's given us, right? I don't want to be useless. I don't want to be unfruitful, especially in the knowledge of my Lord and Jesus Christ. That's a great place to be when you know. And then he goes on and he says, you know what? If you lack these things, the person that lacks them is short-sighted. Short-sighted, right? That's like where you can't really see in front of you. Like I have to have glasses on right now because I wouldn't be able to see your faces clearly. You guys are all the same person to me. Right? That short-sightedness. And I look at it and you guys go into... Oh, I lost. You guys have probably even had this happen in like when you're in a cave or something and, and, and you can't really see that far in front of you. It's that focus. It's, it's hard. Or you can look at it this way. If you had a treasure box inside of a room, you definitely want to get into that thing, don't you? And so you're like taking the pick. You're taking everything that's right there and trying to get that box open. And you know what's going on the whole time? There's a key hanging right next to you. Right? It's like Mayberry in the jail. For you guys that know that, I do watch... You got the key right there on the wall. Every time you're like, why are you putting a prisoner in there when there's a key? <laughs> you know, and Barney, uh, Barney Vive, he's always got these people that he doesn't remember to take the key, and so of course they get out and all this funny stuff. But it's pretty ridiculous. That's why it's so comical, because it's like, <laughs> your freedom's right there, or the, the treasure chest, the key's right on the wall. Go take the key off the wall. But the focus is completely off, and that's what's gone wrong. The focus is like, I got to have this. What do I need to do to get into this treasure chest? What I got to do? I got to get this done. And the whole time, the opener is right on the wall. And it's just the same with our life. We have it right there, the access to it and what he's talking to us in these scriptures. And then he even goes further and he says, you know, you lack these things, you're short-sighted and even to blindness to where it's like if now if you're in a dark room. So there's absolutely no way you're going to know that there's a key on the wall to get into that box. You're not even going to really know what the box is. You get to this blindness where it's completely, you've lost all sight. You've lost all sight. Now you're wandering around again like a blind person. Then that's when he comes in when he says, and you know what happens? It's like you've forgotten that you're cleansed from your old sins. How many of us have gone back into that sinful nature, back into that problem that we used to have when we first were introduced to Jesus Christ or even before him, 
And now we're in this place again where it's like we've forgotten what we were cleansed of. We've forgotten about it. We're right back into that anger that we used to be into. We're just, we're, little things are setting us off again. We're right back in there talking bad about our, our, our brothers and sisters or even other people. We're back into loving, being into buying whatever we want. No remorse. It's all about us and about what we need, and I deserve this, and so it's all about me. So we're back into that whole thing. We're back into looking things on the computer that we should not be, have nothing to do with. All these things, it's like, guys, we've forgotten, we were cleansed. And he's calling us back to that, remember. It's not too late, guys. Don't get down. Don't let the enemy come and bash you because of the things you've gotten back into. All you got to do is repent. Come back to him. Continue that spiritual growth. Continue what he's already programmed in you like a newborn. Continue walking in what he already has for you. It goes on in verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure for if you do these things, you'll never stumble. See, when the mind is so focused on God and what he has for you, and you're just close with him, there really isn't any time to get into that other mess. There's not any time to go and jump off and go hang out with the world for a little bit. And if that's happening with you guys, where it's kind of a Sunday and a Wednesday or whenever you do it, like this is a good day for you, and it's exciting, you wonder why. It's like because you're drawing close to the Lord today. You've given him this day. But the other days of the week, it's miserable. There's lots of fights going on inside the house. There's, there's problems going on at work. There's all this deal and everything. Well, what, are the, what happened to those days? Are they his too? Have you given them to him? Be more diligent, even more diligent, to make your call and your election sure. What you've been called and elected to through Jesus Christ, make it a real deal in your life. It's a short time, guys. It's a short time. And he's going to go into that in just a little bit because he's going to start talking about his death and how it's coming soon. In Galatians 5.16. Let me turn over there. Galatians 5.16. It's another one of those verses that helps us through it and talks about it. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you guys, again, are having that problem, it's saying right here, walk in the Spirit. And then the rest of this chapter, you guys know it goes and talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what it is to walk in that, to leave all these other things that you used to be into in verse 19 and 20 and 21. And but the fruit of the Spirit, and it goes on to those and says those in verse 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Another verse you can turn over to is in Hebrews 4, 15. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And it's just one of those things, so it's, it's part of walking with him. We always can go back to him like what I had talked to you guys and said, is we can always go back to him. Let me grab some water here. You know when those bugs start going, you know it's getting hot. Now, verse 11, and this is where it really gets exciting, guys. If you understand these verses, it goes into 11. It says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's like the hope. That's what we get to look to. 
Here's this walk that we do on this world, and guess what? There's going to be this abundance welcome. A welcome into this eternity that we get to have with him, guys. This reward that he's going to give us, this just completely having this new body, which is super exciting, isn't it? These things that we get to look forward to, and that's why Peter, then he jumps back into, he goes into and talks to them, and he wants to warn them and give them kind of this, like, this is why I'm giving it to you guys, because I'm out of here pretty quick. In verses 12 through, what is it, 15. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir up, stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be care, careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Sometimes when we come and we've been going to church our whole lives, we've heard sermon after sermon, we've heard Peter repeating himself over and over. There's a lot of stuff he's repeated, right? Especially how we're supposed to act with each other. You know what? Peter's not sorry for it. That's what he's saying here. I'm going to keep reminding you guys. And he says in even verse 12, he says, you know, I'm going to remind you guys of this, even though you know and are established in the present truth. It doesn't matter where a Christian is or where a person's at with Jesus Christ. Reminders are good. And I think this is an encouragement. What I brought from this or what I took from this is that it doesn't matter, guys. Tell people that you know. Remind them. Even if they already know the truth, guys, keep reminding them. Remind them what it is to walk after Jesus Christ. Remind them of the joys and the peace that you get from him, the grace that he's given, this righteousness that's been acquitted to us. Remember these things. And not only that, but tell the people about it, Right? Those family members that you're like, I've told them they already know it's, it's long gone. Hey, you know what? Peter's, he's saying to people, hey, I know you guys are great Christians and all. I know you've been walking like this. You know the truth. I'm going to remind you again. It's not something that is belittling the person. It's not something that's saying they're stupid, even though a, a prideful person would take it that way, right? As soon as somebody reminds them of something they already know, it's kind of like, well, what do you think, uh, what do you think I'm dumb? Well, why do you got to keep reminding it? You know, that's how the world works. Sure, at work, you know, they got to tell you to do so many things so many times, you know, your, your boss is probably going to look at you and be like, okay, <laughs> how many times I got to tell you? Right, Paul? Should just be once. <laughs> and then you got it going on. That's a good worker. But what he's saying here is it's okay, guys, to keep reminding each other, family members, keep talking about this stuff. And what he talks about is, you know, I'm about to leave. I'm about to leave just like Jesus Christ had said I'm going to leave. And I want to make sure, and he says in verse 15, moreover, I, want, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. These things are very important, so I want to make sure you have a reminder after I'm gone. And guess what? It's pretty cool, isn't it? What God's done with Peter's words here. Because we're looking at them now. We haven't forgotten them. We're going through them again. But it's just a reminder for us to keep going. Don't get so prideful that we think we have it going on. Keep going over these words that he's delivered to us. Keep going on them. Verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cunning devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. 
This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that not, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And now what he's going to start doing, he's going to start transitioning into the other chapter that he's going to go into. He starts talking about, this is what's going to happen is, is you know, we, we, we're not coming to you guys with these cunning devised fables. These are not like some tall tale about what Jesus Christ had happened. And you remember, who was the three that got to go and see the transfiguration? It's Peter, right? And James and John. Those three guys got to go see Jesus Christ and what was going to happen with him. His glory, didn't they? And so when you know that Peter has experienced this with Jesus Christ, then you look at these scriptures and you're like, okay, he's definitely one that can talk about this. Because he said, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. And that's what he's talking about. And when he goes on and he says in verse 17, that he heard the voice from heaven, that excellent glory, that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that experience for Peter was unbelievable. What he got to go through in that. You guys know, and you, it's over in uh, Matthew 17, where it's the whole story about what happens. But I'll give it to you short. Peter and them get invited by Jesus Christ to go up on the mountain. And Jesus is transfigured there. You got to see his glory, right? And you guys remember who showed up with Jesus? Moses and Elijah, right? Moses and Elijah, they were representing Elijah the prophets, Moses the law. Remember, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the prophet and the law, the prophets and the law, right? That's why they were all there. And then Peter, you guys remember what Peter said in, during that time? Hot dog, this is the best thing we've ever had, right? <laughs> this is the best moment we've ever had in our life. We better build some tabernacles up here. This is a sweet spot. I'm getting to see all these cool things happen in these people's lives. I'm here. I get to see this. This is unbelievable. I'm, nobody's ever going to believe me. So he says, let's build them. And Jesus is like, nope. No, that's an infinite way of, of thinking. That's, that's, or that's a finite way of thinking. That's, that's just for here. This is eternal. And guess what? Elijah and Moses go away, don't they? Who's still there? Jesus Christ, right? Because Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that. He was the fulfillment of the prophets and the law, wasn't he? And then they move on from there. And what does Jesus say to Peter and James and John before they go off that mountain? Don't say anything about this. <laughs> what? Are you serious? I can't say what I just saw. And no, not until I've been raised from the dead can you talk about this. And so he had to wait. And so you can imagine how excited he is. He finally gets to write about this and gets to explain to us what's going on. And he wants to make sure that his readers understand that what I'm bringing to you is not some sweet story. I haven't made this up. This isn't some really creative little fable. And you guys know how many people will definitely claim that that's what it is about. This whole story about Jesus, they'll say it's this crazy story. But if they ever sat down and spent some time, like I think Lee Strobel is a great example of a guy that sat down and said, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to believe this story. I'm a lot smarter than that. And he started researching it, and he went through it. And what ends up happening? He comes to Jesus Christ because he sees that, wow, this is not a story. This is real deal. If you guys haven't ever read that, the case for, uh, what is it, case for faith? Case for Christ. Yeah, the faith is the next one, right? 
Case for Christ, it's an awesome book if you guys, and it's very well written. A neat journey that Lee Strobel went through and got to see, wow, this stuff actually is real. And that's what Peter's bringing. Guys, this is not some story. I was there. I was an eyewitness to what happened, guys. I heard from heaven. I got to hear God speak and say that this is my beloved son. Not only that, but in whom I'm well pleased. What an awesome experience. And he wants to deliver that. And he wants to give that. In verse 18, And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Now, that re- revelation, I think there's a great verse that parallels this over in 2 Corinthians. If you guys turn over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. For we do not preach ourselves, of course, that being, we don't come and tell you some crazy story or try to elevate ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves are your bondservant for Jesus' sake. In verse 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And just showing this is, this is what's going on that I want you guys to experience. And he says, and as if you have the prophetic word confirmed, this is the real deal. I've experienced, I've seen this stuff. I'm coming to you as an eyewitness, which you would do well to heed. Listen up, listen to it. As the light shines in the dark place, so as God brings this light into you, as you understand what's going on and he's showing you, until the more day the morning star rises in your heart. And we know the morning star is relayed, uh, referred to in Jesus Christ. Uh, Revelations twenty two sixteen is a great way to great verse to look at that, and that Jesus Christ is called the morning star. But as he's being and, and this verse is taken both ways, it can be taken literally in your own life rises in your hearts, and also it can talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now knowing this first in verse twenty that no prophecy, and this is when he's going to start talking, he's going to introduce us to chapter 2. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, there's a funny thing that happened. In the last place that I was at, there was this pastor, not in the church, but it was in, in the town we were in. And uh, he had been given the gift to see the words that were in between the actual physical words in the Bible. Okay? So he would read his Bible, and then God would reveal other words in between those words to him. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's what it's talking about here. This wasn't some secret revelation, and then he's going to interpret. That's exactly what this guy was doing to the people. Yes, I'm going to say that that's right, because God revealed to me in between lines 1 and 2 of verse 4 that there's this other truth that's there. (laughs) Ridiculous what some men will do, right? He was coming and proclaiming, and the sad thing was that people were actually believing that he'd been given some gift, that God was giving him a new revelation. And then, he, hey, it was still coming out of the Bible. It was just, it was appearing to him. It was a private interpretation. No. This verse right here says that's not the way it works. Peter says, no. If it's given to you, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come out of your mouth. We can see that from all the prophets of the Old Testament, right? Every time. Who was it, Isaiah or Jeremiah? I can't remember which one, sorry, that talked about it being a hot coal on his, on his tongue. Like he had to say something. It was burning. That's what ended up having to happen. 
Later on, he's going to talk about in, in the later part of chapter 2, he's going to go to Balaam and talk about how God had to use a donkey to turn him away. And we've already gone through that. We had, we had that one uh, teaching on Balaam and just how God used the donkey in that guy's life and to get that message across. Crazy stuff, but what he's saying is it's not private interpretation. He goes in verse 20, it says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so he's given them some places that they can look. There's going to be these false teachers that come in there. You guys need to check out and see, was the prophecy that was given to them in secret? Okay? You know, there's, I got a great example just off the top of my head. There's these golden tablets they are eaten in this different language, right? This Egyptian language that doesn't exist now, unfortunately. And there happened to be nobody around, but I interpret it as this other book that goes along with the Bible so we can have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. Private interpretation, wasn't it? Nobody was around to give testimony of what happened there. That's not the way God works. He didn't just reveal it to one person. He took three guys up that mountain to see it. That's not how he works. So be careful if somebody's saying that to you. Then the second thing, he warns them and he says, it never came by the will of man. Watch out how that prophecy is doing it. Is it, is it making that man a better man? Is it building his pride up? Is it giving him more power? Does it look like it's own, his own will? And that's when he goes in. We have a little bit of time. We're going to try to jump into chapter two just a little bit, which I'm amazed we even got there. So I know it's hot. We're almost done. Chapter two, verse one. But there are also, so he's given us the whole template, like I said, in verse chapter one of what it looks like to be this Christian so that they can see the counterfeit. But there is also a false prophet among the people. Or there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who, brought, who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. And so he gets really right into it. Watch out for these false teachers. They're going to be among you. False teachers, what do they look like? I would say anybody that adds anything to Jesus Christ's salvation would be a false teacher. So yes, guys, you have Jesus Christ. All you got to do is walk through that door. Let's pretend Jesus Christ is the door. We're going to walk through Jesus Christ, go in that, and now we're going to have to walk down this hallway to find salvation at the end. So down this hallway, you're going to have to do some things to get there. Right there, guys, that's false, isn't it? That'd be a false teacher. Anybody that tells you that it's Jesus plus something else gets you salvation, then you're good to go. No, it's absolutely, you walk through that door of Jesus Christ and you're on the other side and you're in salvation as soon as you walk through him, right? That's what he even talks about in John as he's talking about the gate that you go in. That Jesus is that door. And so you gotta watch out with those false prophets, those false teachers that are coming in. And there's some that, they're very sneaky. They're ones that are even, they believe that they're telling the truth. And they'll come in and they'll give you just tiny little things that are really close to the truth, but they have that little lie in there. That's the hardest ones to deal with. That's the hardest ones to see that, uh, I don't know, this is, this is kind of touchy what's going on here. Maybe they'll challenge you on what you believe God is, right? There's a big movement in trying to basically give God no gender or either to say that he's female, right? You guys may have even read a book that tries to go that way with him and say that. We're very clear in the scriptures that he's been given a masculine, that's what, that's what he is. That's what the scriptures, I didn't choose it. That's what God has chosen to do. But it's being challenged now. People will say, well, that's not that big a deal. You're still worshiping God. You're still going on this. 
But it's just a slippery slope that starts introducing you these other things and it takes you out of the word of God and says, is the word of God completely wholly true? Absolutely. Well, I don't know. We could, we could kind of look at, you know, maybe that was just their culture and so it needed to be a masculine form, but now it could be more feminine or it could be both. Or it's, it's a, that's one of those ones that's very slippery and, and can slowly go that way. And then there's just the crazy ones that'll come in and say, hey, I'm Jesus. There's lots of them on YouTube if you guys want to be entertained just a little bit and you, you can't believe what people are falling for. But they're all about how they're Jesus and, and Jesus needs money for some reason. It's sad. It's so sad. There's this guy over in, I think it's the Ukraine or something like that, and he's up on this hillside. It's this whole commune that they go out there and they're privileged to get to see this guy that's calling himself Jesus appear all of a sudden. Weird. They all, it, it's, yeah. Another guy, he talks about how he is the Antichrist but he's the anti-Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So he's the better Jesus Christ. And he's, he says that the misinterpretation of Scripture is that everybody thinks this Antichrist is going to be this beast and all this, you know, everything that Revelation says he is. That's not really true. <laughs> and he goes off and he talks about how he's here to proclaim the peace of God because, you know, the other Jesus of Nazareth just brought death. And I mean, it's so mixed up. People are all about it and going after him, even tattooing on themselves 666 because they want to be after this guy. Um, he was out of Puerto Rico, I think is where he was from. Can't remember his name. A lot of these people and, and things that we need to be aware of and be careful, and especially helping out other people if they hear something like that. Where do we take them? Every one of these, the thing is, you have to go back to the Word of God, right? And that's what Peter was trying to show. The Word of God. That's where we have to go back to. That's where we're going to have that foundation. That's why it's so important that we know it. So we're not duped into that. Going on in verse 2, and many will fall after the destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So they'll follow after them, but leading to destruction. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So it's coming to them. They're going to see the end. Maybe, and, and I've heard this so many times, well, how could they be wrong because their, 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 their business or their ministry is so successful? How could, how could God be against that? That's not saying anything. Just because something's being allowed to go a little bit longer doesn't mean it's wrong. not wrong. All right, verses 4 through 11, and then we'll close. For if God did not spare the angels... And now Peter's going to get into how serious this is and the doom of these false teachers. For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and that translation, it's a different word in Greek, and we'll go through that in just a second, and deliver them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, Condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And delivered a righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a uh, rivaling accusation against them before the Lord. 
And so he goes through and he talks about, here's some tell, tall tales of these guys, tell tall tales that you'll know that these guys are the ones that are wrong is because of how they're boasting, how they're presumptuous, and how they speak of these things. So he goes first and he says, you know what, God, it, it, the way he's going to deal with these guys is if these angels that were fooling around, and they were nasty, if he puts them down in what we would call the abyss, I think that'd be a better translation there because hell is the eternal fire afterward the judgment, okay? That's what hell is. And we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago. Sheol, Hades, uh, you know, Abraham's bosom. We went through all that. If you guys have questions about that still, you can see me or Sean afterwards. Or not Sean, he's not here. Just me. <laughs> Vacation. Um, then we can talk about it. I know he'd love to too. But talking about what does this mean. So the abyss is more of the place where the, these angels were set aside and they were put in prison until the time of judgment. And I believe later on Revelation is where, you know, he lets them out for a time and it talks about that. A lot of the verses that connect into there. Um, but if he didn't, you know, hold them back and that's where he delivered them to, it's a pretty serious judgment that's going to come on these guys who are leading other people astray. It's one of the worst things that can happen. And then he talks about it and he goes, he didn't even spare the ancient world. That beautiful world God had created, he didn't even spare that. And only eight people escaped from that. How much more is it going to be crazy? And then he goes on to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that whole story of them being destroyed because of what was going on. And so if these people were not spared in those times, what do you think is going to happen to false teachers? That's why it's a very careful thing. Anybody that's going to teach, be very careful how you're representing Jesus Christ and the Lord, and especially the Word. It's sad so many people have not taken that very serious. And when they're up in front of the the, the the congregation or wherever they're, if they're out there in the streets talking to people about Jesus Christ, being very serious in who they're representing. It's kind of nonchalant. Like, yeah, we'll get through this. So he turns them, and then he delivers righteous Lot. And then in verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the just under punishment for the day of judgment. And he does, guys. He knows how to deliver us out of those temptations. That's another one of those great encouraging verses that as we're going through it, trust that the Lord's already made provision there. Though I walk through the valley of shallow doubt, you know, he talks about that whole scripture. We're still walking through it, but Jesus is with us. It's not that we've been taken out of it and we have no longer problems or no longer suffering. Peter already talked to us about that, but he's going to walk through it with us. And that's our reaction to that. And as this comes in an attack outside, he's the same thing. It's our reaction to it. We have to remember that absolutely we've seen pictures from the past and what he's shown us with Lot and Noah that they were delivered out of that. And so we too can be delivered out of that. Absolutely. And God is faithful and he's loving to be able to do that. But on the other hand, there is that judgment that's coming. God is very serious about what's going wrong. And he's just because right now it doesn't seem like there's big things happening. We don't have hailstones coming down on us like that, right? 100 pound hailstones yet. Just because that stuff's not happening yet doesn't mean that it's, oh, it's all good. Everybody's falling after the Lord. That's not what it's saying. He's also long-suffering. He's very long-suffering. Praise God for that. And then he goes back into it, and he says they're presumptuous. Think everything about themselves. They're self-willed. Everything that they're going to do is about them being glorified and succeeding. And they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Dignitaries speaking about those, other, those guys that are outstanding, those ones that are living for the Lord truly and, and excited. And that's what we see later on or not later on, but we see in some of the other epistles that Paul was talking about is there were so many people bad-mouthing Paul, right? They were going, he was one of those dignitaries. They were bashing him and his work that he was doing for the Lord, saying, that's not right. You need to have Jesus Christ and the law, and then you can truly be saved. And Paul kept contending against them and going against that. And so 
in verse 11, he says, whereas angels who are greater in power and might, you know, it's, it's talking about they speak evil about these people and maybe they were doing something wrong, but the, the angels even know where their place is, that they're greater in power and might than a human would be in this. And he says, they don't even bring a violent accusation against them before God. That's just not their place. They understand it. That's not their place. That's God's place. And that should be our understanding as well. If these angels that can see so much more than we can see, much more powerful and mighty than we are, right? And their place isn't even that, to judge. That's God's place to judge. Worship team ones, go ahead and come on up, and we'll close. And I really just want to go back over what, as we continue and go through the rest of this chapter and into three, we're going to take a break next week. We're actually having Dan Johnson, uh, the missions pastor from Rocky Mountain Coward Chapel, come and join us. Make sure you guys are here. It's going to be an awesome lesson. He's super excited about teaching it. We were talking the other day, and it's going to be good. So please come to that. And then uh, after that, uh, on the 5th, we were going to go and we'll finish up chapter 2. I mean, Second uh, Peter, uh, chapter 2 and, verse, and chapter 3. But just to leave you guys with going back and, and, and seeing in verses 5 through 7, look at those things, guys. Go back and study each one of them. I encourage you guys. You want some homework for this week, go back and look over those things. And as soon as you research all that, look at verse 8 again and say, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one thing I pray for all of us is that we're not useless in him. We're not unfruitful. That's not what he's called us to. And he's given us everything. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by the glory and virtue, right? Amen? All right, Lord, we just thank you so much for today. Lord, your word is so powerful. And just as it even convicts me, Lord, I pray that I could just fall before you and understand that you're such an awesome God and this divine power that you've worked in my life and you've done things that are just unbelievable and growing my faith and growing me closer to you. Lord, I thank you and I treasure it so much. I pray for everybody here that they be able to talk to their sons and daughters about how awesome you are and just be able to give testimony as they walk with you in their lives. Lord, I pray for the young um, just the young married couples too, Lord, as they, as they figure out things and how to do things. They have these new kids that you're giving them and what an exciting time in their life, Lord. And just, I pray you bring them strength and uh, just wisdom beyond their years and what they need to be able to do, Lord. And everything that you've instilled in them, that it just comes out. They chase after you. They, they seek after that spiritual growth with you, Lord. And for Lord, just for the, the seniors that we have in our congregation, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't feel useless. I know that so many times as soon as the job is done, the retirement comes in, and, uh, you know, it's now what? Um, go out, have some fun, spend some of the, you know, the, the time that they've put aside. And uh, then what after that, Lord? And I know the enemy comes and attacks them and says that they have no place anymore. And that's not true at all, Lord. I pray that they'd find their spot, that they would know where it is in you, and that they'd be able to teach us younger ones just how to follow after you and how to be so excited about you and the life lived after you, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for the awesome weather you've given us. And I just pray for the fellowship afterwards, Lord. We'd be able to encourage each other and strengthen each other like you've called us to. And uh, we just thank you so much for the food that you delivered to us and you provide for our, our families, Lord. And we just praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?